welcome to Mojo for the Modern Man. This is your host, Ken Mossman, and this is episode 15, the second part of my conversation with Jason Krause. Jason's a leadership strategist, an author, a speaker specializing in helping organizations disrupt and accelerate a new breed of meaningful leadership. And Jason is also a former World Cup and World Championship bobsled pilot. And in this second half of our conversation, we discuss shaving thousandths or hundredths of a second uh, off of times, the cost of the sport, as he puts it, uh, historical perspective on childbed fever. And most importantly, and really near and dear to my heart, Jason describes a triumph of character that grew out of uh, a challenge and in this case, letting go of a long-held dream that became over time a bit of a case of tunnel vision. And of course, coming out of the other side of that tunnel uh, to discover what really mattered and, and, and take a step toward his life's work. So there's a lot to this one. Um, just a quick reminder before we get to the recording, if you have not yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man. And with that, enjoy the second half of my conversation with Jason Krause. The best guys will naturally go to the pilots that aren't going to put them in harm, that are going to get them the best results. And, you know, even if you have shown to be consistent or not, it can still happen. There's, there's one race uh, I was at a World Cup race in Altenburg, Germany, all, as east as you can get in Germany, right near the Czech border. And very difficult track in, in a World Cup race. And there they get ten to 20,000 people lined up along the track to watch these races. And the first run, you have two heats in a race. After the first heat, the guys made a mistake, left one of the push bars out, which creates drag, slows us down. But we actually were in a good position. And so we're thinking, okay, in the second heat, let's pull it all together. Well, in between the first and second heat, one of the guys on my team, it was his first World Cup race. And he looks at me in the start house in between the first and second run, and he goes, hey, Jay, Jay. Big smile on his face, and he goes, I'm a bobsledder now. And sure enough, what's the thought that goes through my head? Well, I nodded to him, but in my head, I say, well, you're not a bobsledder until you crash. <laughs> uh -oh. So Ken, I'll let you guess what happened in my second heat. <laughs> I crashed. Now, when you crash in a bobsled, you don't slow down much. Right. You might slow down, you know, 10 miles an hour as you go down sideways, barrel roll down the track. And this guy wasn't wearing his thin Kevlar vest. And he's sitting behind me in the second position and he gets pinned outside the sled. Uh. And so if you rub your hands together as fast as you can and you feel that heat, imagine the heat that's created from the friction of the ice and the speed you're traveling with, you know, a ton pushing you down into the ice. Well, this guy got a softball size burn through his flesh and, you know, has a, has a nasty little trophy uh, that he'll carry around with him for the rest of his life. Now that's part of the risk. And here in his excitement, 
of it being his first World Cup race, forgot to put his Kevlar vest on mm. underneath his speed suit. Ouch. Yeah. 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 You started this by saying, what are some of the lessons I learned? Well, yes. se several things. One, uh, I in high-performance sports, I experienced several examples of leadership that I did not want to be like. I was unwilling to sacrifice my morality, ethics, and the and humanity for the sake of winning a medal. And that was modeled in my sport, and I am would was unwilling to do it, which is probably why I was a mid-range high-performance athlete um, in that sport. That was one big lesson. A second big lesson in which we've pulled into our leadership work. The littlest things make the biggest difference. In a world where everyone's seeking magic bullets and quick fixes, true high performance is about mastering fundamentals. And the same goes with leadership. And it is the tiniest things that make the biggest difference. Give an example. In sport or outside well, of sport? Let's go for one of each. Well, in sport, we spend a significant amount of time polishing our blades. Like over an hour every night, we're sanding down the blades that we run on to remove a micro thread that might um, create drag on the ice. You want it as smooth as possible, starting at 80 or 100 grit and working all the way up uh, past 2,500 grit and diamond pasting your blades so that a micro crack in your blade won't cause a hundredth of a second because a hundredth of a second can make the difference between being on the podium or out of the top eight, top 12. Mm. And if we translate that to leadership, a, an example we use to create context in leadership is Ignaz Semmelweis. Are you familiar with him? No, no, go for it. In the 1800s, uh, several women were dying when they were in childbirth. Oh, okay, I am familiar right? with this, but keep going with the story. So he the story. obsessed over what the problems could be, and he came up with a repeatable solution. And he proposed it in journals where he was mocked, made, made fun of, and thought insane to the point where he was committed to an asylum. And what was it that he proposed? Well, he proposed that physicians were actually the problem and that if they simply washed their hands, that that could make the biggest difference. So they thought he was crazy and they discarded his, his hypothesis. Well, of course, it was proved through Louis Pasteur and the germ theory. But here are the biggest things. When we talk about the littlest things that make the biggest difference, well, the first one is you. How often are you? Ironically, the one that's infecting the problem you're trying to solve, where you're agonizing over this grand solution and stepping over the fact that, hey, you might be the one infecting it. And so there's responsibility and accountability where we take leaders to reflect on first. And then the little things that make the biggest difference. We get bold and we say, you know what? Any jerk can send a card on Valentine's Day or the birth card because those are easy, low-hanging fruit. 
But when it comes to making performance or high performance teams, or better yet, what we call meaningful performance, how do you notice or acknowledge people when it doesn't matter, but you create meaning out of situations that generally wouldn't be considered meaningful? Spotting, acknowledging, creating course corrective feedback, like all the little things that we miss because we're invested in our spreadsheets or our processes or the outcome that we miss the the process elements that create powerful cultures and a powerful force yeah and i'm reminded of statistics that i've seen that um what really has people engaged stay engaged come back to the table time and time again is uh our moments of recognition no moments of recognition the words you use how you use them teaches people where to focus their attention mm. and i can it, it, it's it's fascinating jason as i'm listening to you because i'm i'm reflecting back on your experience of hazing mm-hmm. you know and everything you're describing here is very much the opposite of that it's there's high performance leadership and at its worst high performance leadership is using pawns to and moving them around and discarding them as you need to fulfill your objective highly transactional um and it's all about control Uh, where we create an opposite bookend is meaningful leadership where you create your conditions for success and understand that all of those lagging indicators and outcomes that you obsess over, well, if you focus more energy into the fuel that's inspiring the hearts and minds of the people that you work with, it, you're going to achieve better lagging results. That's meaningful leadership is creating meaning i want to come back to this uh to to creating meaning and and before we do um because i absolutely want to hear about it uh before we come back to creating meaning um there's a piece of the story that (laughs) that 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 i think is really important and that is how did you make your way from bobsled pilot to the work you do now yeah uh after eight years i didn't make the olympics i was going into the 2006 olympic year ranked top 10 in the world i was in my best physical shape and then my childhood best friend roommate he'd been fighting cancer for five years i was training in montreal i got a call saying hey he took a bad turn and we don't know if he's going to make it Mm. and so i hung up the phone with his wife flew home spent his last day with him was able to be in the room when he passed and i carried that grief with me into the season and it didn't matter that i was in the best physical shape of my life i could not meet my bare minimum standard to go to the olympics 
And so there I was, come February, sitting at home, shattered, broken, a com- feeling like a complete failure as I watch my teammates go to the Olympics and everything I invested in for eight years went down the drain. At least that was my current perspective. Mm. Now, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I look back and that's the best thing that ever happened to me. Just a break here and a quick reminder, if you haven't yet subscribed to Mojo for the Modern Man, please do so on your favorite podcast. And now back to my conversation with Jason Krause. Because I lived in a space of seeking validation and the destination-itis and the story of when I get to the Olympics, then I'm going to be really important. Uh, The the if-then or the when-then story. Yeah, yeah. And so the the true gift in all of that was me being forced to sit there and ask myself, what value can I possibly give the world if I don't have the Olympic rings tattooed on my shoulder? I I, want to hit pause again here because you're you're pointing to something that um, uh, I think in in, in my experience with working with, with with my clients and certainly what I see out there in the world and that there is, uh, you know, we can so heavily invest in a, in a dream. We can so heavily invest in a vision. We can so heavily invest in an idea that we don't see that we're, you know, even in the pursuit of this, and it can be a beautiful, noble thing, by the way, you know, an Olympic medal is a great example. Um, uh, on the one hand, but the, uh, the dark side of it can be a, a very bad case of, of, of lockdown and tunnel vision, where anything but that becomes... Uh, unacceptable or less than or or a failure for lack of a better way of putting it yeah tunnel vision's accurate you create this vision of all the amazing things it's going to be and it becomes a quixotic adventure that when you get there and you achieve it and realize it's not what you cracked it up to be then you found out that you've been playing a game that you actually or you won the game you actually didn't actually want to be playing and i'll give you a couple of examples yeah good i I know several olympians that once they get there and the six weeks burns off after they've won their medal they're kind of like now what i'm constantly everywhere i go now people are referring to me based on what i did who i was Mm -hmm. an olympic medalist and now your interactions are driven around being in the past or can i'm sure you've experienced this CEOs or presidents who get to this position that they they thought they always wanted and they go, this isn't what I wanted. My ego wanted the title of CEO, president, SVP, whatever. Um, But now that I'm here, I don't enjoy it. I'm not using the gifts that I want to use. Yeah, and that brings us back to, uh, that brings us back to this question of meaning that I said we'd put on pause. So yeah. I mean, here we are, we've circled back to it. So yeah, unpack that, uh, unpack that a bit, meaning. 
creating meaning. It's so, well, there's a lot to it. For example, when we are working with leaders in our programs, we talk about meaning as your objective in that whether it's in a learning program, in a relationship with your role, what do you do to create meaning? Meaning isn't delivered. Meaning is created. And you do that through intentionality and unearthing what's important to you. And for example, one of the things we use to, to connect meaning to leadership and business deliverables is forecasting to your legacy, your retirement party. Are people going to be celebrating your impact and the way you help them progress? Or are they going to be celebrating the fact that they don't have to face you every day? <laughs> it's a great, it's a great question. It's a great place to look. Well, and once you do that, then you can reverse engineer what you want this to be through the impact you have on the business. The the people, your, your clients, everything, and then come back to what we hold as a central or the epicenter of meaningful leadership. And that's extreme intentionality and your brand. Mm, extreme intentionality. Th this is a, a high performance practice. Once you get clear about your intentional brand, we've all got a brand. People don't, may not like the word because it might seem schwarmy, We've all got a brand, whether we like it or not. People will make associations based on how they experience us. So once we throw that out there, then let's get clear about what the associations you want people to create with you. And how does that inform the way you show up as a leader? That's authentic, aspirational, because we're always a work in progress, and unapologetic, where you take a stand for the things that are important to you. Yeah. Yeah. There's something that, let me, let me just see if I can find the words for it. Um, again, there's an assumption here and that is that the, 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 the culture I think has this notion that, that taking a stand or being a, unapologetic um, is, uh, is an act of, of ego. And it absolutely can be. And that has a certain flavor to it. And what I'm hearing or perhaps injecting into, uh, so I want to hear it from you. And then I want, I, and I do, I, I realize we dropped the, uh, the piece of uh, the, the, the piece, a piece of your story that I want to get back to before we wrap here. But, um, you know, what was also true is that taking a stand and being un unapologetic uh, about one's oneself, one's leadership, et cetera, in the world can be uh, a, one of the least ego driven things one can possibly to there one can possibly do and stand for there's a, a a level of vulnerability and authenticity to it and of course a lot of complexity that that we don't have time to to go into and 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 i think that's what i'm hearing but i don't want to put words in your mouth no you're you're bang on there's getting clear about being unapologetic what it is how you deliver it can be scary and it's essential the cost of not doing it is you become a fickle 
fly where the wind changes in situations that you may regret later. And it's happened several times with senior leaders who are unclear about what they are unapologetic about. But what you hit on is very important is when you become clear about what you're unapologetic about, then the question is, how do you create context and what we call engineer your relationship with others so that it's not this drive-by sledgehammer that creates negative destruction? But people know what they can count on you for. They, it's okay if they don't like it, if they know what the intent is. Because consistency is an objective of meaningful leadership. Hmm. Hmm. Thank you. Beautiful. Well said. Take us uh, in the, just in the short time we have left. Uh, close the gap because you left us with you sitting on the couch in in February hmm. while your teammates were off. Uh, at, at the Olympics, and somewhere there was a there was a transition that happened that brought you to this uh, deep, impactful work that you're doing now. I've been so fortunate to have many wonderful mentors that helped, you know, guide the river that I stepped into after sport. I I, I dabbled in sport administration. I had a business of my own. But I want to change. And one of the greatest gifts of being an athlete is every year I was an athlete, I got a year of tuition. And I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. I had studied business. I had a lot of tuition credits left. And then that's where I discovered the CTI. thought, oh, this is neat. Don't really know what it is, but I'll go check it out. <laughs> uh, went into coaching, found it completely reshaped the way that I looked at my life and how I could build relationship, uh, did the co-active leadership program, met people, and they all kind of helped inform my career. At heart, I've always been a coach. I've always wanted to inspire better ways of team and performance. And so it felt natural to get into this coaching and consulting world. And I was fortunate enough to have doors open for me to get in as a consultant uh, with a company called Emerge Learning in Calgary and start doing work that felt way above my head. But I learned a ton. And that's where it was during that time with me and a colleague, Steve Messler, Olympic gold medalist who became a consultant, where we developed our the principles that my company uses now called the science behind success. Mm. Because while we were delivering work as consultants, it just wasn't good enough. It felt like poor and snore content driven uh, that created disconnect and disenchantment between leadership, learning and development and the realities of helping leaders be better. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm aware of our, our time here and I'm also aware that uh, there are so many more questions I want to ask you and, <laughs> and, and particularly about, particularly about uh, the work that you're doing now uh, with level 52. So uh, unfortunately we are out of time. However, I want to make sure that people can uh, reach out to you, find out more about the, the work that you're doing 
Um, so how can people, Jason, how can people uh, reach out to you, get in touch with you, find out more about what you're doing? They can check us out at level52.ca. That's where we have my info, our programs, and of course, the launch of our upcoming book, The Science Behind Success, What Every Leader Needs to Know About Mindset, Influence, Culture, and Performance. That comes out in late November. Late November of 2020. That's right. Good. Beautiful. And if they want to reach out to you personally? Oh, they can send me an email or find me on LinkedIn, Jason Krause. It's Jason with a Y, Krause, K-R-A-U-S-E. Uh, or send me an email, jason at level52.ca. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me, uh, Jason, here on Mojo for the Modern Man. It's been a delightful conversation. And as I said, uh, I could ask you questions all day long, and I, I doubt we'd run out of uh, good, useful material. Um, any, any parting words before we wrap here? No, I appreciate you bringing me in, Ken. I love the work you're doing and am grateful that uh, you brought me in. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been an, an absolute honor and delight having you here. I look forward to having you back. I'd love that. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Ken. Thank you so much for joining me and my guest, Jason Krause, here on Mojo for the Modern Man. I do hope you enjoyed uh, both of Jason's episodes. And a quick reminder here, if you want to reach out to Jason via email, his address is hello, H-E-L-L-O, at level52, that's level52.ca, and you can find him on his website, level52, level52.ca, and of course you can find Jason on LinkedIn and on the notes for today's show in the intro, at the bottom of the intro, you will find... Uh, a link to his podcast, as well as Jason's speakers reel on YouTube. Jason's newest book is The Science Behind Success, What Every Leader Needs to Know About Mindset, Influence, Culture, and Performance. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can do so via email at ken at cirruscoaching, C-I-R-R-U-S coaching.com. And please come by and visit my website, cirrusleadership.com, C-I-R-R-U-S leadership.com. You can uh, poke around, check out classes I have going on. Please do sign up for my weekly newsletter. And uh, there's a free gift you can pick up there as well. And of course, if you have not yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service. And with that, this is Ken Mossman for Mojo for the Modern Man. Look forward to seeing you back here for another episode next week. And with that, make it a great day. Take care.